All right, well, thank you, kids. We love, love, love having kids here. You guys are just such a blessing to this church, so thank you guys. Of course, always thank you to the moms and the dads and the grandmas and grandpas and everybody who worked hard to get their kids ready for church this morning. Last week, you guys know Naomi was gone, so it was kind of my job, and I, it's a lot of work to get them up and ready and kind of pointed out the door and get their clothes on, the right kids. Like That's a lot, so thank you guys for doing that so much. Yesterday, I was at a wrestling tournament, and there was, it's, oh, so many kids. There were so many kids, so many parents, so many things um, going on in this little tiny gym. It was hot, sweaty, just a great, great time, right? So, <laughs> anyway, I, uh, my kids have always wrestled since my, my older two boys were probably about four years old. And wrestling is such an interesting sport. I believe it's one of the most difficult sports to learn and to participate in. Um, and there's one uh, wrestler that comes down, and his name is Anthony Robles. He's a NCAA champion, and he's a great wrestler, just amazing teacher. Comes down to these youth camps and teaches these kids wrestling, teaches them techniques. He is only has one leg. And if you look, if you watch the sport of wrestling, you will notice that what looks like a handicap is not actually a handicap he used that to his advantage i remember watching a young kid come up in my son's leagues and they this one young man only had one hand so he had a right hand and then his his uh wrist would just kind of stop and he didn't have a second hand and you would look at that and be like oh man how can he participate but he would use that to his advantage and he used his heart he used his passion for the sport to compete and to compete well that gentleman I told you about, Anthony Robles, only having one leg and being an NCAA champion, like a, a college wrestler, professional wrestler, is, a, is an amazing thing. And sometimes we look at, at, the, at the gifting, we look at all the things that people are equipped with and we can miss it. It's really about what's inside. It's about the determination, at least in the athletic ability realm. But... I think what the Lord's talking today about in the gospel is what, what is in our heart. And he's talking about separating the sheeps and the goats. It really comes down to what is in our heart. Now, I, I, I wrote a, a sermon companion, and I hope you have that. If not, I, I would suggest you grab one on the way out. In order to teach this passage of scripture out of Matthew 25 about the sheeps and the goats, it, ta- it really, honestly, to, to teach it would probably take about six weeks because Jesus is, is he's, he's taking his disciples to a very specific time in history that has not happened yet. He's taking them to the final judgment before uh, the earth passes away and we enter into eternity. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you a quick five-minute lesson around the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, and the millennial reign of Christ, which leads into our scripture today. And if you have that sermon companion, you will notice that there's scripture references that you can go and study on your own. And I think that this is, this is the only way to, to teach it, okay? And I've, I've spent all of 2022 studying the end times and Daniel and Zechariah and Revelations. And I think that it's, it's so relevant to us right now, but I can't not make mention of it if I'm going to teach out of Matthew 25. So I'm just going to go through it really briefly. And then, like I said before, there is uh, um, 
scripture references for you to go on your own time and you know study as you will. Okay, and if you're watching this on YouTube, if you go to the YouVersion app and you look under events, you can find all these notes and the entire sermon, uh, uh, the entire service outline right there on the YouVersion app. Okay, so the first thing that's going to happen at a time of the Father's choosing only, the church will be gathered and taken from the earth to meet and be with God. We, we, we refer to this as the rapture. The will will be at this point in absolute turmoil, godless moral depravity, and chaos. And God is the only one who chooses when this happens. God is the only one. We are to keep our lamps lit, like we learned about a few weeks ago, to keep our lamps lit, to be ready when the, the, when the Father chooses, but he's the only one who chooses. Man likes to predict, and man likes to do this, knock it off, there's other things. We got a great commission to fill. We don't need to be predicting what God's going to do. Second thing is, is there will be an antichrist disguised as a political peace leader will be revealed and will bring a false and manufactured peace to the earth. He will also make and then break a peace treaty with Israel. Like we talked about a few weeks ago as well, Israel is central to what's happening in the world today, central to understanding the Bible. Once the peace treaty is broken, this man, this political leader, will stand in Jerusalem and proclaim himself to be God. During this seven-year tribulation, there will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists sealed by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel in the absence of the church to those who don't know Christ. And you can just see with all this anti-Semitism going on in the world today, you can see how the enemy is trying to discredit the Jewish people, knowing that there will be a time where the Jewish people will be the greatest evangelists on earth. At the end of the seven years, Christ, Christ will return. And in your a note, in your uh, sermon companion, there's references to each of the points I'm saying so that you can go and study uh, on your own. At the end of the seven years, Christ will return with all the saints and a righteous kingdom will be set up on the earth and Satan will be confined for 1,000 years. That will be the millennial reign of Christ. Finally, Satan will be released for a short time to deceive the nations, and he will march against the army of God. This is the battle of Armageddon. They will be easily defeated. People think that the battle between Satan and God at the end is going to be this great war. It's not. God's just going to wipe him away, and they will be cast for eternity into the lake of fire. And that brings us to our text today out of Matthew 25. And this text brings us to the final judgment of our God, our King, and our Judge. And he will righteously engage and rule here on the earth. And what I think is so amazing about the story that we're reading today out of Matthew 25 is Jesus spoke this to his disciples. He had not yet been arrested. He had not yet been crucified, he had not yet been resurrected, and he had not yet ascended into heaven. And we need to keep all these things in mind as we navigate this passage and celebrate Christ the King. So I want to point out, I'm not going to read the entire gospel again uh, because it's so long, but just you have it there in front of you if you want to make mention over the next minute or two. But I am going to read the first verse. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. That is our king. And like I said before, the last two parables were focused on getting ready and staying ready for his return. Now Jesus shifts his dialogue from getting ready to now, look, I am here. And after the millennium is when this judgment will begin. Now Jesus is speak, he uses two words in this first verse. Okay? The first word is the word glory. The Son of Man is going to come in his glory. What does that mean? It is a Greek word, doxa. And it means a most excellent state, magnificent, excellent, preeminence, dignity, and grace. The next word he uses is the word throne. That's a Greek word, thronos. And it is a chair of state, a spiritual place of ultimate authority, a place of holy and righteous political power. And this will be a place where King Jesus will conduct his divine duties. Jesus will have the final say on the hearts and the minds of men. He will be the judge and jury of their intentions and motives, and he will be just and he will be true. Now, the throne in this instance is not a physical seat, but a spiritual position. Jesus will set up a righteous and just political system on the earth during the millennial reign. Now, why should Christians get involved in politics? The church, I believe, is set up to be a righteous political structure to foreshadow the coming political reign of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that we are to show the world how to run an organization, how to interact with one another, how to make decisions. We are to be the one that the, peop that the world looks at on how to handle these types of things. It is important that we see the throne Jesus leaves to come to earth. And we look at that in Revelations chapter 4. And I know this is a lot, but it's all coming down to a point. Revelations chapter 4, verse 2 through 8 says this. And if you're familiar, the Apostle John is given a glimpse of heaven. And he's seen the throne room. And it says this. This is John writing. At once I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And there he sat had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, and with which are the seven spirits of God. And a note, when they say seven spirits of God, he's talking about the complete God. He's not saying there's seven gods. He's saying that number seven represents the complete God. I just wanted to make that note. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second creature like an ox, the third creature like the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, the four living creatures, each of them with six wings full of eyes all around, and day and night they never cease to say, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Angels are not little tiny babies with harps. <laughs> they are beautiful creatures created by God to display his wonder. What is not here is a description of what the throne actually looks like. But what is here is a response to what happens around the throne. What happens to the 24 elders around the throne? They fall down, they throw their crowns. We see beautiful colors, rainbows, lightning, thunder, rumblings, the, the, the weird looking creatures up there with the eyes that's so weird, but they respond to the holiness and beauty of God by saying day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why do they say that day and night? Because every, like, God never runs out of something to be amazed by. God, we never run out of, I'm, I, I, I've got God figured out. I, I've learned everything about God. Every moment there's something new about our eternal God that is displayed. And these creatures can't help but say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, imagine Jesus, Christ the King, comes to earth. There is going to be an effect on the world around them. The sheep represent God's people, and the goats are still those who reject the mercy of God because Christ is going to come down and he's going to separate the nations once and for all. And he's not going to separate, you know, Italy over here, America over here. He's going to separate the people, and he is going to be looking at their hearts. That's why the last two weeks have been all about the heart. The reality is, well, let me say this. At this point, every effort has been made by God to extend mercy, grace, salvation to all of humanity. If you study the end times, all you, you see a lot of things, but you see the mercy of God, the grace of God being extended. God has such a heart for people that he wants to do everything he can to bring people into the kingdom of God, into the inheritance that are waiting for him. But the reality is that our God is the judge and his righteous judgment will come in part through history and in full at the final judgment. And I believe that judgment in part begins with the house of God because we are called to be that righteous representation of him on earth. And when he comes and he looks at me and he says, Eric, he doesn't call me Pastor Eric, he just calls me Eric. He says, Eric, you need to get right with me so that you can be a, a, a display. You can be in the world showing the world who God is. God's judgment is righteous and we are made righteous through his son, Jesus. Now the king will say to those of us made righteous through the king, through Christ the King, he says this to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God has an eternal home and an eternal plan for our lives. It is our choice during this life to accept his choice for us or not. And if you study heaven, you study the new Jerusalem, you will find that heaven is a very industrious, buzzing place full of activity and intricate beauty, 
all displaying the glory and kingship of our great God. That's where I want to be. We see right here that Jesus is foretelling his disciples what that moment will be like and has granted them access into the eternal inheritance kingdom and home. And then Jesus goes on to describe how his righteous judgment will be made. He lists these different actions and deeds that those who inherit the kingdom will make. He said, those there were thirsty and you gave them drink. He said, people were in prison and you visited them. People were hungry, you gave them food. People were naked and you clothed them. Now this response from those who from the sheep, from the inheritors is quite interesting. And it's worth noting because this isn't about works. They were confused. They didn't have any recollection of that. They were like, what? What do you mean? Like, I don't remember giving anyone anything to drink or any food, or I didn't go to prison. I don't remember any of that. The reason why is because these actions came of such a committed place of love and devotion to their God. They weren't keeping track of the good things that they did. They weren't keeping track of all their good deeds. Their eyes and their heart were so focused on serving the Lord and being obedient to him, that was their number one, uh, uh, what's the word? Oh, now I'm losing it. Hold on. Priority. priority. Nailed it. Thank you. Save the day. <laughs> Priorities. That was their priority, to serve the Lord, to love the Lord. They weren't keeping track. Oh, God, you know, I did some great stuff, and I went to prison twice this month, keeping track, you know. They, they were just focused on loving and serving the Lord. They had captured the heart of their God and their king that compelled them to show compassion and deliver these deeds. They had no other ulterior motives other than just loving God and loving people. They served not for attention or recognition, but because the love of God so filled their bodies, souls, and minds. We should live our lives to overflow with the Holy Spirit's power and love onto those around us. Then they will know that Christ is king. How many of you know there's a lot of false kings in our culture today that want to be king? There's the entertainment, I don't need to list them. There's entertainment king, there's the political king. There's all these different kings. Christ is the king and he uses his church, me and you, to display that to the world around him, us. And now he speaks about the goats. And I think the first thing I want to establish, I'm almost done, is we need, to, we need to understand something. Eternal damnation and punishment is prepared for the devil and demons, not for people. God created a plan of salvation to save us from the punishment of our sins. People always ask, well, why would God send people to hell? I do not like that question. I don't like that question at all. It's the wrong question. Here's the question. Why does God want to save us from hell? Why does God want to, like, shouldn't we be in awe of a God that put together this plan of salvation and had to work with humans to get this plan of salvation to the earth? He had to work with people like me to get this plan out to the rest of the world. He had to work with people like David. I mean, it would have been easier for God to just, no. But he loved humanity so much, he put a plan into pace and preserved it from the Garden of Eden till today. That plan is just as powerful. The entirety of Scripture is God trying to save people from hell. 
When the goats are judged, the king will list off the things that were not done. They, weren't, they didn't feed anybody, they didn't clothe anybody, they didn't give anybody drink, they didn't visit anybody in prison. Their answer sounds the same as the sheep. They were like, what? We didn't know. We don't remember anything like that. We don't remember those situations. What's the difference? They were selfish. Their actions served their own desires. Their deeds displayed who their king was, and their king was themselves. And this is a sad reality. People either reject Jesus completely or they follow false religions and teachings that lead them into what the Bible calls a doctrine of demons or false doctrines that lead people to trust anyone but Jesus. There are well-intentioned people that are following false doctrines and false religions today that will pay the price meant for Satan and his demons. That's just the sad reality. That's why the church needs to be bold. That's why the church needs to get involved in the public square. That's why the church needs to do the things that keep Christ the King displayed in front of the world to see. Christianity is the only religion in history that requires nothing of us. Other religions require us to do work, to suffer, to do deeds, to do works, all these things so we can earn salvation and the king says it best in matthew 25 verse 34 he says come inherit the kingdom prepared for you we do not earn it we inherit it we do not work we receive our king did all the work for us he went to the cross he suffered so we wouldn't have to. He was beaten so that we wouldn't have to be beaten. He was humiliated so we wouldn't have to be humiliated. He was tortured so we wouldn't have to endure that. He left his glorious throne that I just mentioned. He left all that glory to come and be born in a barn in a little manger and experience all the temptations of evil this world would have knowing he would come out on the other end victorious. And he would extend that victory back to us he chose that for us all we have to do is choose him back romans 10 8 through 10 says but what does it say the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We serve a king so great, <clears throat> he offers the entirety of his kingdom to us, to you and to me. All we have to do is say and believe that Christ is the king.